But before I introduce you, um, how do you pronounce your last name? And I'll, here, I'm going to say, I was going to say Gedine, but okay. that's probably wrong. It's, and most people say Gedine, but it's Gadine. Gadine, no. Gadine, you were close. Yeah. Gadine. Hang on, I'm writing this down. Gadine. Gadine. Jackie Dean. Okay. Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human. This is a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit. These are conversations with people from all walks of life, exploring their journeys and what makes them who they are. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Jackie Gadeen. She's a daughter, a wife, a mother, co-founder of The Resting Mind, which is an online community and coaching company for Gen X women. And, uh, you know, Jackie, I like to start off with... When I first started this podcast, I was very worried. I used to do a podcast a decade ago where I interviewed entrepreneurs. So it was very common to kind of be like, this is the co-founder of, of you know, Acme Corp. But I think what we do professionally is important to our identity, but I don't think it is our whole identity. So I struggle with like how to introduce people because part of it's like I want people to understand who you are in terms of like why did I invite you here? But I didn't I didn't necessarily invite you here because you're the co-founder of a company. Um, I mean I did, but I'm more interested in I'll be honest, here's why I invited you here. You posted something. No, Tracy, our our mutual friend Tracy Samantha Schmidt. Uh, I told her that's like her whole name. I had to somehow put her in my iPhone that way. I had to put Samantha Schmidt as her last name. She had posted something on Facebook about a podcast episode you did. I checked it out. And then I started messaging her. I said, I was reading your bio on your website. And it it went up, mentioned a little bit about how you had some kind of struggles early in life and like overcame some obstacles. But it didn't go into detail. So I was messaging Tracy. And I said, do you know anything about this? Like, I, I kind of want to learn more. So she sent over some stuff. And um, long story short... Uh, there's a lot I want to talk about, but I noticed that you were working for AdAge, which is a global media brand, an amazing, you know, um, a, a large brand that that makes a large impact on the world. Um, but you were there for a long time, and you were an account manager, and then you worked up to like ad director, managing director of sales, associate publisher, like working your way up in corporate America, um, which is an amazing achievement for anybody. Um, but then you left. <laughs> you just left. <laughs> I did. I did. And, and I'm not passing any judgment here, but but what? Why'd you leave? <laughs> wow, that, that you're just going right in there, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a great question, and when I get asked often, my goalpost moved. This is the best way I could explain it. My whole life, I thought about I'm going to be publisher. I'm going to be publisher of a brand. And when I decided what brands I wanted to be publisher of, it was Ad Age or Women's Health Magazine. I mean, two totally different things. But those were the two brands that I had loved before I worked there. And when I was as a, as associate publisher, the closer I got to becoming publisher, the less I wanted it, the less excited I was about what was next. I think the expectations of what I was supposed to do was taking over what I really felt in my heart. And then on top of that, my daughter was diagnosed with ADHD when she was in kindergarten, which was the last year I was at that age. And I knew I couldn't be the mom I wanted to be and be on this giant career path. So I wanted to do something for myself and my family first, as opposed to career first. 
Wow. So you knew ahead of time, like you had those two, like you said, big brands that you wanted to become impactful in. But going from knowing I want to be a part of one of these two brands, then achieving it, working your way up, that must have been a big shift to to then almost say, you know what? This is not the most important thing anymore. Because I imagine, you know, 10 years before that or whenever you started your path, that was like, this is the most important thing I'm going after right now. Was that a big shift, like it, it, mentally, to be like, you know what, I, it's important, but it's not the most important. It was. It was a huge shift. It was because it was the holy grail for so long that. To your point of what you said earlier, which you said, I struggle with introduction because our identity is not our job. That was my identity. So when I left at age, not only was it, was it hard to think about leaving at age, but once I left at age, when people would ask me, oh, what do you do? I didn't say I... I don't, you know, I'm not working. I would say, oh, I'm the associate publisher of AdAge and hide my face and hope that they didn't check that I left because it was such a big part of my identity. So, you know, the shift was while, you know, I finally closed my eyes and held my nose and literally jumped off and not having a net. For a long time, I had to ease it out, ease out of being associate publisher and just kind of realize who I was. And that was a long process and journey. That question, what do you do? I've thought about this so much over my life. Um, it's such a... I was thinking about this uh, recently as I've we've all been in this coronavirus situation with a lot more time in our homes on our hands. Um, been thinking about... Like you watch um, uh, like The Bachelor or reality shows like The Bachelor. And at the bottom, you know, the contestants have, well, I'm Bob, 32... And I'm a salesman or I'm a dental hygienist or whatnot. You go on Jeopardy, you know, any game show, any television show, um, you know, you go to a networking event, like everywhere in life, like it's just like the standard. And maybe this is in America, but the introduction is Hi, I'm Tim. I'm XYZ. Who are you and what do you do? And I just, I don't like that, Jackie. I just don't like it. Me neither. I am with you 100%. Yeah, I don't like it. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, I, I think there is something better. I just don't know what is better yet, I guess. So one of the things, funny that you brought this up. And this fall, my business partner, Mimi, and I did the VIP event. We were the host, the keynotes for this VIP event called She Leads. And we, the, the woman was like, okay, what are you going to talk about? And we talked about networking as humans first. So it's so ironic that you're bringing this up, but we got up on front of everybody. And we said, I don't want you to ask people, what do you do? Do not ask anyone what you do. Ask them what book they read, who are you excited to hear from today? What brought you here today? Find another conversation starter that isn't about what you do. Because did everyone what, freeze? Like, did it, they, they didn't know what to say? <laughs> they didn't. They were. They did freeze, or they did listen. What was interesting is as soon as we said go, the decibel went up much higher than it would have if we didn't introduce it that way. And while we were talking to people, people said a couple things. One is they felt finally that they weren't going to be judged by where they sat in an, in a ladder of status. One woman said we were talking and she said, you know, I lost my job. 
And I had anxiety. I wanted to still come, but I had anxiety when people were going to ask me what I did because it was such a part of who I was. And then I had, we had another woman who said that she stays in the corner with her coworkers because she doesn't like trying to be sold to. So one statement of how to introduce yourself differently changed the entire energy in the room. And it was so impactful. So I challenge anyone listening, instead of asking, what do you do? Ask somebody what brought you here today? Or if you're at a networking event, who do you who do you want to hear from today? What do you want to learn? Yeah, there's something to that. I mean, especially at a networking event, I, there's so much more to us than the career we've chosen or how we derive income and support our families. I mean, that's all super important. But you know, like what music do you like? You know, like I'm obsessed with 90s. I mean, I, I read somewhere that you... Was it by the time you're 30 or 20? There's some age you get to where you are locked into the music before that and your brain no longer... Like you're just going to love that music. You'll still pick up other music, but you're going to be locked in. So I'm locked into the 90s. Me 90s too. alternative pop rock everything yeah yeah oh good see we were meant to talk Foo fighters uh stone yes. Temple pilots i, yes. I mean, that's me i still listen my my daughter's like oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's the dream right to get them right. now locked in the 90s yes. somehow yes yes so you uh speaking of a younger jackie you grew up on long island only child what's it like like were your parents um supportive were they were you just kind of rebellious and they you didn't care like what was kind of the dynamic with you and your parents i'm always uh, curious being a parent now it's i am so i'm an only child i married an only child and i have an only child so a little trivia question uh being an only child to two parents um my mom couldn't have children so i'm adopted so being an only child to an Italian mom and dad who couldn't have children, it was a very overprotective household. So while most people talk about that Gen X, having the latchkey and all of that, that was not me at all. My mom and dad were on me. They knew everything I did. Um, but my mom and dad were, we were just a unit, the three of us. So I never rebelled. I was, I was, I knew that in my heart of heart, I had a big responsibility, right? If you're an only child, subconsciously, you know, like, if I mess up, there's no backup, right? It's not like, if I keep striking out, there's no backup, <laughs> right? So I always felt, not my parents didn't put pressure on me, but I always felt this pressure to be a really good kid because it was all on me. So, and I also knew I couldn't blame it on anyone else, right? I, I broke something when I was a kid. I, I remember this very vividly. It was this like crystal horse that my mom had and I was throwing a pillow and I broke it and I blamed the cat because I didn't have a sibling. So I oh. lied to my mom. I was like, Oh, the cat did it jumped up and knocked it over. And my mom was like, really? Usually doesn't. And I've never seen him lock, knock anything over, but because you don't have anyone to blame. So you really have to stay in a fine line or totally rebel. And I'm not a rebellious person. I'm kind of a very um, old soul, empathetic person. So there was no rebelling. <laughs> It's interesting though that no rebellion, but it's interesting that you you did find the cat to blame for that. Sometimes you need a scapegoat because yeah, there's nobody else to blame, right? <laughs> everyone, everyone's like my everyone knew was, wasn't my dad, right? So yeah, who else then? Exactly. <laughs> what was it like um, being adopted? I mean, in terms of not being adopted, but um, I you know I I'm not familiar. I'm not adopted, and I, I to be honest, I don't 
really have any close friends or anything that are adopted. I'm thinking off the top of my head. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming though that there's a different dynamic just growing up, and especially once you become aware of that. And not that it's better or worse or different, but just like. But it's different. It is it's different. different in the it sense that, yeah, like knowing these are not your biological parents and that there are biological parents out there somewhere. Was that like as a child difficult to comprehend or was it just kind of like it is what it is and this is my life and I love it? Yeah. So I think if you asked five people who were adopted, they'd have probably five very different journeys. For me, I was, I always knew I was adopted. So from the the time I was little, my mom always told me that I was, it was never sit down. I have something to tell you. She would just weave it into our conversations. Like some people grow in your belly. Some people grow in your heart. You grew in my heart, not my belt. Right. So I just always knew. So it never was an issue because I always knew. And I, I think because my mom and dad and I were so close and we grew up Italian family, on Long Island. All of our cousins lived on Long Island. Every weekend we were all together. I didn't long for anything. I was curious when I was young, but I didn't long for anything. The only thing I longed for was a sibling. So I didn't wish I knew what they looked like. I didn't wish I didn't have a a hole that needed to be filled. I think I feel very lucky that I didn't have that. I was very happy in the world and the life that I had. And as I've gotten older, you know, with this Ancestry.com and DNA.com, I I was uh, very curious about my background and my health, but didn't want, but, but purposely checked for people not to be able to find me because I don't care. And I don't want to disrupt someone's life that may not know, maybe a sibling, a half sibling, who knows? And I feel like it's not my place to just disrupt someone's life with, baggage that they don't need to know. So I, I have a very pragmatic approach to it. And I think because I've I had such a loving environment growing up. That's so great. I think it's great too that your mom and your parents like like you said, it was it wasn't like hidden or presented as a big reveal. It was just part of your who you are and who you are as a unit. And it's nothing different. I mean it's different, but I, I just think like my family <laughs> anytime my dad says, Tim, can you can you come talk in the dining room? Like, <clears throat> there's yeah, that's what you know. If if Dad says come in the dining room, there's something, you know. Either it might even not be anything bad. It's just like there, you know, it's a big reveal. Like, do you want? We got to talk about this. And it's like, I don't know. I, I'm glad that there were you know you didn't have to come in the dining room and hear that you were adopted. There was no coming to the dining room. It was just part of my what I knew. And and, and um, interestingly enough, I don't know if you know this, but my daughter is also adopted. So we couldn't have kids the big fraternity journal journey that was ended up with us adopting. And since she was little, I mean, she was eight months old and I would tell her the story of how she was born so that she had the same experience, which was, I didn't ever want it to be a sit down. I just wanted to be part of our conversation always. So hopefully she feels the same way, but she may not feel the same way, right? She may be a more curious kid or there may be something that she needs down the line. And we'll address that when, and if that comes down the line, but it's it the 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 lovely part is that I could share my experiences and my feelings and my emotions with her, so she feels like she's heard. Yeah, and I, I don't want to be insensitive, but I, I almost feel like in some ways, like it was meant to be that you ended up adopting a child because now you can share that. I mean, like the impact you can now have in this unique scenario. I, I imagine it, it's going to be amazing for her. 
Yeah, I, I believe everything in life is, I don't want to say meant to be, but I do believe my daughter was meant to be. I know that she was put on this earth to be my daughter, my husband's daughter with my mom. Like there is no doubt that she's, even when she drives me crazy, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> that is the weird thing about kids is, oh, that immediate love. I mean, intense love. And then three minutes later, this intense, what the hell? I can't stand you. And then three minutes later, back to like, well, you're the best thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you just realize that you're human too. So there's unconditional love, but we're all human, right? So we're going to be frustrated and disappointed and all of those things and angry, uh, annoyed, and then joyful and happy too. That's true. So you, <laughs> so you, um, so at age, uh, so you, you, you said earlier you had picked the two, what was it, at age? What was the other women? women's health magazine? Yes. That is another big, I mean, these are ones you see at like the doctor's offices or at Walgreens on the rack. I mean, these are big, especially women's health, maybe at age a little bit less, but I feel like women's health I've seen. I don't know if I've ever read it. It was the big deal. It was the big deal. I was a fitness junkie at the time and health junkie and it just talked to me. And so did that age because I was in marketing, but in a different role or in a different kind of publication. I just always read it and enjoyed it. And I thought it was smart and interesting. And so I wanted to work somewhere I was passionate for. What was it? So you get into ad age and you start in sales. And then like I mentioned, I mean, over time, you're working your way up. What was it that like drove you? Was it um, are you the type of person that just wanted to achieve the next goal and you just kind of um, I forgot what the driver is if you're ever doing those driver exercises like what what motivates and drives us but there's an achievement one or was it was it something else like what kind of I, I'm looking at kind of your trajectory there and it's amazing but I'm curious like what was the motivation? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think. When I was first there, my motive that had no motivation. I, the publisher at the time, was going through ad directors like, like they were going through laundry. I mean, every year and a half that she would just churn and burn them, churn and burn them. And every after being there for two years, every time an ad director got let go, my colleagues would always be like, "You need to take that job. You need to take that job. We want to work for you." And I had I hadn't managed there. I'd managed before, but I knew I didn't want to work for this woman. So I was okay with st- sitting in this sales position because the trajectory of what I wanted wasn't going to happen there. And I just was, wanted time to figure out where I wanted it to happen. And then when she left, I realized like I could do this job, but I could kill at this job. So I think. Part of it was timing. And then I am an achiever by nature, one of my five strengths and strength finder achiever. So I'm always, yeah, I'm always going. I do that in my life now. I, everything, when my daughter was diagnosed with ADHD, I dove right in and I found every natural homeopathic avenue uh, brain practices we could do to link the two sides of I did everything. It's just how I am. So I think it's a wiring thing, but I also think I know when I need to step off and when I need to kind of go full throttle. ADHD, that's, um, I mean, getting the diagnosis at five too, that must have been really tough. I mean, you know, and I feel like ADHD is one of those diagnoses that I think a lot of people still. And and I'm be honest, I should be included in the group I'm, I'm talking about, but is is probably still misunderstood by a lot of people, or not not fully understood. You know what I mean? Like in terms of what it is and the impact of it. Was that 
I have a daughter. I mean, my daughter is five. Um, and so I'm just thinking if, if we learned that she was diagnosed with ADHD, I mean, that would be a, you know, a, 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 oh my God moment, I think. Was that the case? It was, it was an oh my God moment. It was very obvious. She had, uh, she's impulsivity. So there's lots of avenues to ADHD. And before I had a daughter, I just thought, they're just hyper. I didn't understand what ADHD meant. I, I think that's the common. Hyper. Yeah, I think that's the common understanding. It's the common understanding, but there are lots of layers to it. And my daughter happens to have impulsivity issues, which means she doesn't ever think before she does. So her prefrontal cortex doesn't take over as much as her amygdala, which is that instant gratification part of your brain. Oh, wow. So what... What what I work with her on and what we need to do is constantly get her to pause and think. But when you work with that part of your brain, it's it's hard to retrieve the information that you want because you you have to do it consciously, right? So you work from a subconscious setting even more than most humans do. And she has information. So if I if you asked her, hey Peyton, what's eight times eight? She'd be like sixty four, like that. And then five minutes later, you could come over and say, hey Peyton, what's eight eight times eight? And she'll say. Uh, and then go through it on her hands and then have to get to 64. So what's interesting about it is for her, sometimes she can extract the information and sometimes she can't get to it at all. And that's a very frustrating place for her to live in. And as a mom, it's frustrating too, because you're like, you just did it. You know, I don't understand. So oh, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's hard and it's, but, but on the flip side, I realized that, there's a beauty in the way her brain works differently. There is this, this ease in which she goes through the world that is amazing. There's this very mature human side of her that isn't childlike. So there are lots of benefits to it. And we just manage the, the manage her to where she is and try to bring her along to where she needs to be. Does her, I'm taking the example you just described of the, the 8x864, does that ever kind of come head to head with your um, achiever, achievement strength, like wanting to achieve? You are so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this is. but Well, this meaning just picking up on things. Um, yes. Well, not anymore. I realized when my daughter was about five and a half that... Um, her life cannot be my expectations. So it was a very big aha moment for me and one that I still work on every single day. But what achievement looks like for me is not going to be what achievement looks like for her. And I have come, it's it's taken me some time and lots of self-coaching, actually. It's one of the reasons why I'm so glad that I, not that I became a coach because of that, but that I can use my coaching practices, which is to really understand that my expectations are not what I need to be putting on her, that she will achieve her way. And all I can do is support her so that she can be fulfilled and happy without living with this weight of feeling like she's disappointing anyone, right? Because that's that's a big weight that children feel. So I try to work on it every day and I hope I'll make you laugh. But I always say like, all kids, everybody always needs therapy. I just hope my kid doesn't need more the most. <laughs> I hope it do, and doesn't blame the mom too much, right? Like, you know, I, I do the best I can and hope that in the long run, it, it, will, it will make her the, the best human being she could be. Oh, and what more could she ask for? I mean, yes. she's got the, the great mom here. That, that's Aww. what more could you ask for? Thank you. 
So you mentioned the coaching. So you're you you uh, I mentioned at the beginning. Eventually, you you decide I'm leaving at age. Yeah. Um, this is no longer the number one achievement I'm going after. Um, is that when you decided to start doing life coaching or? Um, no, no, I actually took a year to do nothing, um, to just do nothing, to be human, <laughs> really be human, connect with my daughter, spend more time with my mom, spend more time with my family, my husband, just, and just do things that I like to do, took painting and art and all of these other things. Uh, but, but during that year's time, I kept getting calls from our good friend, like, Tracy, Samantha Schmidt, and other people that I worked with who said, I'm going through X. Can you help me through Y? And what I realized was what I missed most about my job was really maximizing individual potential. So while I loved building businesses and business units, while I loved being able to come up with and talk to people and and get them to buy into my ideas... Really, what I missed and what I wanted to continue doing was kind of getting that talent and raising them and raising them and raising them and raising them. And I said, well, how do I do that? So I decided to go back to school for coaching and chose my coaching school based on science because I didn't want to be a chasing fireflies kind of coach. And what I mean by that is not everybody goes for schooling and a lot of people like, and then just think positively. And I, there was absolutely energy and positive and affirmations and all of that. But understanding the science behind why we do what we do and how things change was really important so I can really change people's subconscious mind and their habits. And that's ultimately what we do, right? We want That's what we want to do so that when we when our subconscious mind takes over, which is 95% of our day, we're set. Our resting mind is set where it needs to be. So we want to keep raising the bar and optimizing that. I like that you have the science aspect to it. And speaking of, I mean, you, you go by the term life coach, right? Or is yes, that life not, and business yeah, coach. Yep. Life and yes. business coach. Okay. Yes. So, I mean, I think life coach is another, just like ADHD, is another concept that is... Not misunderstood, but again, I think there's different understandings of it. In your words, like what is a life coach? If you are explaining to someone, like what is that? So what a life coach is in my terms is my job is to help guide you to get to your end goal, whatever that looks like. But I don't tell you what to do, right? A good life coach doesn't tell you, you need to do X and you need to do Y. A good life coach says, how do I help you discover your own journey so that you want to go and stick with it. So the thing about science is if I tell you, Tim, you want you want to change your life, then you need to do X, Y, and Z. You're going to be like, oh, okay, all right, and might write it down. But if I asked you questions and said, how do you do this? And why would you do that? And you came up with your own way to get to that same result, something happens in your brain, your um, endorphins go off and you get a dopamine rush. And when you get a dopamine rush, you actually attach to that idea. So you want to see it through and you want to achieve it. So the goal of a good coach is to constantly help their clients have what we call aha moments or moments where they get those dopamine rushes so that they it propels them to act. And that's what a good coach does is it really helps you see things differently so that you go and act and then gives you the wings so you can fly. So unlike therapy, a good coach should never be with you for five years because that means that 
either you, you know, unless you're constantly working through something new, but you have to, we want to give you your wings so you can fly and you can go off and self-coach and understand these principles. You just answered what I was thinking in my head was, what are the differences between this and, and therapy? And that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. And coaches look forward. So therapy is all about what happened in your past and how do we uncover this? And coaching is all about what do you want to do? Whatever mm. it is, it could be finances, it could be yeah. money, it could be weight, it could be career, it could be happiness in life. What is it you want to do? Let's figure out why you haven't gotten there. And then we just unpack all of that and then we rebuild so that you can get to your goal. So everything is goal oriented to move forward and not really to look back, just look in the present time and present moment. So people start, I mean, you're noticing more and more people are contacting you and saying, can you help me with this situation? I'm, I'm thinking about doing this or trying to get through XYZ. And then at some point you decide, you know what, I'm going to kind of formalize this and maybe make a consultancy or practice out of this and, and try and help others. That's what I did. I actually, went, when I went back to school, I then dis- discovered, okay, what's the, pro- what's the process? What's the right process? And how, do I, and how do I use neuroscience and positive psychology in my practice so that we're creating sustainable change, not just change of the moment? And then I started building, I just started building the practice and did it all really through word of mouth because um, I, I have two companies. I have the Rewrite Your Script, which is my first coaching practice, just me. And then I uh, met my business partner and we launched The Resting Mind a year ago where we really want to dig in and help Gen X women because for too long, they've just been ignored. They, they're getting skipped for promotions. They are in the highest anxiety part of their life and nobody's helping them pull through it. And they're also not giving themselves the time and permission to do it. So we want to, we want to provide that for them. That's a amazing, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for. An amazing uh, goal to have is to, I mean, to help a whole generation of women that, you know what I mean? That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool that you're doing that. Yeah, well, they, you know, I feel, I feel obviously I am a Gen X woman, so I feel a little attached to them on it in, in all honesty. Sure. But the ageism is starting at 42 and 43 years old, which is crazy to me, but it's what's happening. And we just want to empower Gen X women who have been the workhorse blend generation for so long. They've been typing away and doing their work in the corner, giving everyone else accolades for the job and just getting stuff done. And that's great, but they're not raising their hand. They're not negotiating. And not everyone, right? There's always exceptions, but a generation as a whole that has been that had should have been the silent or the blend generation would have been the perfect name for them. <laughs> <laughs> so um I'm thinking, this is totally random. I'm thinking uh, about how you're from Long Island. And just yesterday, I was having a conversation with my son. <clears throat> I don't know why, but we were talking about... Um, oh, he was asking about Queens. So we're talking about the boroughs of New York. And I explained how there's five boroughs. And I was trying to explain what a borough was. Not that I fully understand. But I was trying to name... I'm like, I think there's five. And I'm going to name them. I'm like, there's uh, Manhattan. There's Queens. There's Brooklyn. There's Staten Island and there's Long Island. And so we go look it up and I was like, oh, I forgot about the Bronx and Long <laughs> Island is not its own uh, uh, borough. So. No, no. Well, we feel like one because we, you know, we're so attached to everything that happens in the city. So, <laughs> yeah, and I said I've never been to Long Island, but uh, he has a, a, an uncle that lives there and um, or no, a great uncle. Um, 
his mom's uncle, whatever that is. Yeah, I guess <laughs> um, it would be great uncle, right? His, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I said, um, but I understand that Long Island is just literally a Long Island. So <laughs> it is. It is a very, very Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> so in, isn't Long Island, um, again, this is going to show my non understanding of New York, but is that at the very end of Long Island, is that Coney Island where like the amusement park is? Or is that? Coney Island's in Brooklyn. Coney Island is actually in Brooklyn. And the end of Long Island's called Montauk um, in the Hamptons. And the Hamptons are out that way too. Why am I, in my head, I picture at the end of Long Island is an old vintage amusement park. No, no, that's Coney. It's Coney. (laughs) It's actually, no, uh, right at, not far from, not far from Manhattan. It's it's Coney Island, yeah, off oh, of the Verrazano Bridge. That's okay. You learn something new. That's it. That's a, if you haven't been there, why would you know? You wouldn't know. Uh, this is true. Yeah, yeah. it mean, just speaks to the fact that I need to go there, though. There you go. Oh, you would love it. It's it. Well, New York itself is great, but Long Island's it's a nice little gem. Good beaches and uh, food is phenomenal. Which that's all that matters, right? A good restaurant, which is what I'm yeah. missing <laughs> most. Oh, I know. How are you doing with this whole, you know, so we're recording this. Oh, today's April 1st. Today's April Fool's Day 2020. Yes. Oh, yes. my gosh. Um, are you going to joke with me and tell me you didn't, you know, I did all this and you're not going to air it? No. <laughs> April Fool's I, <laughs> no, I didn't even know it was April Fool's Day until someone mentioned it to me earlier. I was like, well, and they're like, how'd you not know? I'm like, Every day is just a blur now. I don't know what day of the week is. Me I don't either. know what day it is. I Me don't even neither. know if it's morning, noon, or night. Like it's just. <laughs> how are you doing through all this, though? You know, uh, as well as can be expected. I'm trying desperately to just find my new norm, and I know everyone keeps saying the new norm, but I found that every week actually gets better versus harder for me because I've created some sort of pattern and routine. And pattern and routine makes me feel more comfortable. So when I think about how to curb uncertainty and discomfort, it's how do I find comfort in my everyday setting? So that's what we've been doing. And I've also, I find myself feeling lucky. Like I get to, I get to spend time and homeschool my daughter now hard to manage with my full-time job, but because she had ADHD, I have to sit with her, but I find myself lucky that I could see how her brain works really you know, face to face so I can understand the issues and keep helping her. I also like two o'clock in the afternoon, my husband and our three dogs and my daughter will be like, let's go for a walk because we can. So we are making the most of our family time. It's great family time. So I feel like while this is really hard in lots of ways, I'm trying to take this and look at it as when else in our life will we ever get the world pausing and slowing down? when everyone was wearing their badge of busy before this. So um, that's how I'm taking it. What about you? How are you handling it? Very similar. I, and I think that's such a great way of looking at it. Um, <clears throat> I go, I ping pong back and forth behind between this is terrible. How am I going to make it through to what you just described of? Well, there are so many positive aspects to this, which sounds really weird to say. I mean, a lot of people, there are some really horrible aspects. People are losing jobs and um, things like that. I mean, people are losing their lives. But um, like you said, there are some positive aspects where the world is slowing down. The world has paused. It's also made me realize things I never realized I took for granted. The simple idea of if I could just go to that restaurant three blocks down the road 
and grab just literally go to the restaurant and be around people or if i could walk around the neighborhood when i'm done with recording with you and if i see a person on the street not have to go to the next side of the street or completely turn a corner see a human and go the other way like i just i never realized how we took it for granted just interacting with other humans whether it's walking in a restaurant at a concert i mean just that has blown my mind like i've more and more thought as soon as this is all over, all I want to do is just go to the most packed place. I want to go out to eat every night. I want to go to every concert. I want to be around as many people as possible. I want to like just celebrate us all being human together. Yeah, it's um, that, that's been the big thing. You know, I wonder though, when you say that, will there be some post-traumatic stress that are we going to feel comfortable being around that many people? You know, I think one of the things that oh, you know I've that. recognized is being a New Yorker. The reason why this is so bad is because there are millions of people, literally over three million people, who ride the subways every day. So there's no there's, there's no wonder this spread as as quickly as it did here, right? So there is a part of me so that now is like, wow, do I make different choices about how I get around the city? Do I make different choices about being in places that are so compact because how quickly something can happen or turn. It's, it's interesting for me. It's, it's made me think a little bit. I want to be around people. I can't, I'm missing my friends. And, but how do yeah. I, how, what does that look like? Does it look the same on the other end? I never thought about it that way. Cause in a sense, what we've realized is our one, our number one need of being around others and connecting in this case has worked against us. Yeah. I never thought about that. Will we ever think in the future, like now having lived through this, wait a second, this could work against us again. Should we pull it back a little? Yeah. Should we not be, you know, because, um, you know, I'm here in Chicago. It's a similar on the L. I mean, I go down to the office and, you know, at rush hour, it's you're packed like sardines. You know, I, I don't know if we have 3 million people riding like New York, but I wonder if I never thought about that. The first day we go back to the office, well, I think... Do I want to be around all these people, you know, pushed up against them or within six feet of them? Right. right. Can we go every other desk? I don't know. It's it's just yeah. it's just it's going to be interesting because I do think, you know, everything that we think today is based on everything that's happened in our past. So to think that that everyone's just going to go back and not take those beliefs that they now have forward with them, it's not going to happen. I mean, how we adjust those beliefs will change, but. It'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Yeah, and I also because I didn't. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't think about that. I've very much just been trying. The way I've been coping with this is trying to think like, oh, this will all go back to normal. To your point, though, it might not long term. I also am now thinking when we finally lift the shelter in places from all these various states here in the United States, and then we slowly start to bring back more of quote unquote normal life. Those first few days and weeks as we gradually transition into that are going to probably be very awkward. You don't forget I, how you're so like, so, yeah. how are we supposed to socially talk to us? Can I hug you again? Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, should I pass you on the street? Like, I don't, oh, I never thought about that. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's going to be weird. I actually think that's going to, you know, people talk about social media and, uh, um, and really trying to come up with a, with, what their perspective is on different things, but really recording your first interactions after all of this could be just an interesting experiment in, you know, psychology for people. I feel like this whole, yeah, I think so. I, I feel, I feel like this whole 
experience has been quite an experiment in psychology. It's just, I mean, everyone's saying, and I've been saying it too, but it is unprecedented. I, I do, I feel like every morning I wake up now and I just wonder if it was all a dream. Yes. And then kind of when I realize it's not, it's sort of like, oh, well, what does that mean? <laughs> like, right. so it's still, it's still happening. <laughs> it's still going. Well, we, uh, I'm in a book club and we recently re- read The Hands- Handmaid's Tale, which I've seen the series on Hulu, but we all decided to read the book for those who didn't see the series. And in there, the main character states something, if I'm going to forget exactly, but she was like, I, this has become so normal that I believe that my old life was the dream. I don't know if you you know anything about the handmaid's tale, but it's like, is the old life, the dream, not this, the dream, like at what point is the way we were the dream (laughs) and this now the reality and real life. So flipping this whole thing on its head. (laughs) Oh, that's trippy. Sorry, did wow. I? Did, now you're going to be linking about that all night. And be like, that darn Jackie, why'd she say that to me? <laughs> no, no, it's no. I, I'm just so. I, I am very as someone who really does. I'm very interested in like the the psychology and our psyche, and, and just that part of this is very interesting to me. And also, you know, talking about kind of we've talked a little bit about like the human side of everything. Um. I noticed this a couple of days ago. Like I, um, this comedian Jim Gaffigan. I don't know if you ever listened or are familiar with him. He's uh, I, I enjoy him. Um, he lives in New York. He has five children. He talks about them in his act all the time. And his wife, who co-writes a lot of his material with him, they a week or two ago just started every night at five p.m. started dinner with the Gaffigans. They just live stream on Facebook or on YouTube, and they're at the, their table in New York. They're they're home and they're they're literally just having dinner. And you're with them. And, you know, it, it was just so humanizing, if that's a word, to just, you know, his kids don't care that he's a comedian. I mean, they care, but they're literally just having family dinner. Like, they probably don't understand that he's like streaming this to, you know, however many people. And I don't know if you saw the, not uh, um, Jimmy Fallon was recording with Jennifer Gardner. He was recording his at home show. I didn't. Yeah, they're they're playing instruments, and Jimmy Fallon's daughter, I think, comes in uh, the room, and he was just like, "Oh, bud, can you wait five more minutes?" And she's like, "Okay," and he leaves, and it's just like all these examples of like we are all just human. I mean, you take away all this other stuff, like you take away the ability for all these late night shows to be at a studio, you take away the ability for Jim Gaffigan to be on a stage, and all you are left with is people in their homes being human, just like the rest of us. Just like like the rest of us. It's great. Yeah. And that part to me has been the one big thing I've taken away is, and I've always believed that that's what I truly believe, but for us all to just experience that collectively, that like we, like no matter what you do in this world right now, you know, wherever you are in the socioeconomic, whatever, like we are all just people that are collectively dealing with this. And Yeah. I think it grounds you too. It makes you feel like there's nobody, it's not as if anyone is immune to what's happening. And so there's this, this safety in numbers, even if it's not the club you want to belong to, just belonging to a club feels a little bit more protective. Yeah. I, I love that. There really is that, just that collectiveness. It's, and that's the part that I feel like we have never, or at least I haven't in my lifetime. I don't think we've ever experienced to this magnitude of like us all being together. I mean, on, on something like maybe it's cause it's a global and you know, when you think about it, it's a, 
here in Chicago is a citywide, then our state, then our country. You know, I think in the past I've experienced things where like, you know, when Chicago Cubs won the World Series, like the whole city or the Blackhawks winning the Stanley Cup, the city was all together. But I mean, this is like the the state, the country, the world, like everybody is in on this. Like there's no one, like you said, left out. That's never happened. It's never happened because it's not, you know, I think even even during 9-11, while it was a country thing, the rest of the world was still doing business and still going on. Yes, so if exactly. If you were a New Yorker who dealt in the markets, you know, dealt in, in China stock market, you still had to go to work, even though you couldn't even get yourself out of bed, right? Because you were so sad and depressed and were or just tore whatever words you felt and so this is truly everyone's feeling the same way and it also i think allows people to be more forgiving and be more human about letting people do what they needed to do without judgment without uh, fear without uh, reprimand just be and do what you need to do to get through and to cope and you know i'm hoping that there are more people that are doing that than by than that are not. Yeah. I want to go back for a second. I'm just thinking, so when you I'm going sorry, I'm jumping all over the place here. I I'm thinking about following you. I'm <laughs> you. I'm good. This is easy. <laughs> I'm thinking, so when you um it, full uh, transparency here. I was looking behind you at kind of your little office there and I was thinking about your house. And then I was thinking about when you were um uh, at that age, and you had kind of come to the end of that journey and decided that you were, you know, going to do something else. That the the lifestyle of of, and I don't know what your your husband does or anything. I don't know anything about necessarily your lifestyle, but I imagine working your way up to that degree in a global brand like that age would provide some financial means that were providing a you know a decent lifestyle. Did that? Was that something that was was going to change when you left? Like, I'm wondering if that was something that you had to consider and think about when you're like, I'm ready for something new, but this is also going to potentially change my lifestyle, you know, in some way. Absolutely. You know, um, yes. <laughs> and for lots of reasons in this, this achiever only child, uh, my mom, my mom and dad were married up until my dad passed away seven years ago. So they were married almost 50 years. A oh loving, great marriage. I mean, really, oh, not perfect, but great. And so, but my mom always told me, don't get married till you're 30. Make sure you have your own career, your own money. Um, you need to be self-sufficient. Always never rely on a man. So that has been ingrained in me since I'm young because she always wanted me to take care of myself. And then here I was about to jump off my huge career and not have any income coming in. So personally, not only my identity, but this whole idea that I had to rely on my husband was like, Oh God. And I threatened him like five times before I decided to jump off. Like if you do anything stupid, I'm going to kill you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was such a vulnerable position for me. Absolutely. Um, You know, the second thing is, you know, of course you make those financial decisions, but the one thing I will say, everyone wants money for a different reason. And I think it's not always easy for a couple to have the same values around money. But my my husband, Scott, and I's value around money has always been security. We've always wanted money for security. And when we were young and saving and saving, the thing we, we said very clearly is, 
whenever we have kids, I want to decide to work or not work based on me wanting to work or not work, not based on financial reasons. So we need to make sure that every choice we make is to set ourselves up financially for that. So that has been our goal. So while, yes, we didn't go on three great vacations a year, from a lifestyle, from a worry, put my head on the pillow worry, we didn't have any because we knew from an early age that security was why we both worked really hard. And that was, we were going to do everything we can to build security so that every choice we make would be for us and our family and not because of the job we had to do. Now, you don't always get that, but that was our mindset and we were lucky enough to be able to do that. Yeah, that's that's great. That's one of those situations where at that moment, present Jackie was probably thinking past Jackie for all the you know the hard work and the prep work and thinking yeah. playing the long game playing the playing the long game it's a marathon and I, I remember being newly married and we had our house and we had our house first before a lot of friends and our friends would buy houses and re- redo everything in within a year and I'm saying to myself I know we make as much money if not more than them why I, I don't feel comfortable doing that because I need to have money in the bank and he's like everyone values money differently what is our long what, what is our value like security he's like so we will do it but we're going to do it when we do you know so it was interesting it was always we always had checks and balances with each other to help us remember that and I think not enough couples talk about money and not enough couples align their values about money so it's really important that you do that and even if they're not exactly aligned you figure out how to balance it and compromise. That's great that you both were on the... Um, it's such a simple thing, but that you were both on the same page with that. Like you said, we value security. This is what money means to us, and this is how we're going to handle it. But just that simple notion of being on the same page, you know, I imagine played so much then into that. It does. It does. And you know, not on the same page about everything, because that's impossible, but we were about that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one to be on the same page Right, about. right. <laughs> <laughs> I think there... Yeah, there is that misconception that you have to agree about every single thing. And I think it's more about understanding how to not deal with, but to to respect each other's decisions and how to communicate and to work with each other on... Like you can, you know, you and I both happen to be into 90s music, but you could be into something totally different and that's totally fine. Although that's the a simple example, but <laughs> no, right. It's, it's, it's giving people, giving each other space to have their own, their own life, their own opinion, their own, but also exactly. come together yeah. and try to learn to love your music as you turn, try to learn to love mine or at least accept it. Right. So as long as you're not in complete, I think adversity, which is one's a, a tremendous spender, one's a tremendous saver. And that, that could be very difficult. So in big, Differences, I think it's hard, but small ones, I yeah. think you can work through them. I have to ask you, so the software we use to connect us here, we're video chatting. At the bottom, it lets you put in your name and it defaults to your email address, but you, I don't know if you changed yours, but no. it says communicative no. moonwalker. Oh, no, you didn't that write is that? Not me. That is not oh, me. I don't know. I thought have, it was now you. I have more questions. So that's for... funny because I thought that was <laughs> you. I thought that was your name. I thought it was yours. I don't know how that came up. That's so funny. Oh, this is so funny. I don't have anything, a communicative moonwalker. But that's pretty funny. I don't know what that means. We can kind of go into a psychology lesson to see where that might have come from. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that's great. I figured because I was yeah, I was 10 minutes late here and then we were trying to figure out my technical difficulties. And I thought in the time that you were waiting for me, I thought you just decided to write communicative moonwalker yeah, down there. And I was like, oh, I love it. Anything. I just hit accept. So maybe it was, maybe somebody wrote it before and I just hit accept it. I didn't realize I needed to put something in. It just auto, it auto populated to that. So maybe there's in the stars maybe someone's trying to tell me something <laughs> yeah this is so much it's so much better now that you didn't write it because i have so many more questions now <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah it's funny so you, you mentioned that you you adopted uh your daughter and um um so i imagine there were there was the adoption aspect to it which was a especially for you being adopted yourself um, probably an amazing experience, but just simply becoming a parent is a amazing experience, but also a life changing experience. Was you know was that a big kind of deal for you? I mean, was that something that like I guess an oh my god moment? You know, of, um, I'm terming this now oh my god moment, <laughs> but um, of like you know whoa like obviously you wanted that you 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 went and adopted a child, um, but. At the same time, did it like completely? How did it? How did it change things? Uh, I think I think having a child changes everybody. I would be shocked if somebody said that it didn't. I think for us, I think the biggest thing for us was we were we had tried to get pregnant for a long time, lots of I've failed IVFs, uh, six years, um, and I think for us when we decided to go on the the path to adopt, our attorney was like, okay, well, usually so you find out when the birth mother is. F- three or four months pregnant. And then you have to go through this process where you really have to stay in touch with them and all of this stuff. The woman who was my daughter's birth mother was seven and a half months pregnant when she contacted us. So we went from thinking we would have this time to, oh my goodness, really, you know, two and a half months later, we had a, we had a baby. So it was, it turned our life upside down because it was so quick. But I also, again, I believe that she was meant to be ours and that's exactly why it happened fast and, and all of those things. But having a child is just, there's, there's nothing like it. There's the, you know, the, the experience is the love, the experience, the, the protectiveness that you have, the, um, the, the, all the emotions. I don't think any other human being can make you feel an array of emotions the way your son or daughter can. Not a husband, not a parent, not a friend, not a anything. I think a child is the only one who can make you feel this expansive array of emotions. And that's a beautiful gift that she gives me. And um, I do everything I can to be the gift back to her. Oh, I love that. I totally agree with you. I, I never thought of it that way. I love the way you phrase it, that they're the only human that can provide that for you. Because I really do totally agree with that for me it's and there's so much to it but one of the biggest things for me has been the i guess it's humbling but this idea that once i became a parent and i was a parent long enough i realized that every single parent out there is just making this up as they go along and you know i feel like when i was younger i just thought my parents were you know i thought every parent was like an expert in this like they were probably trained and had you know experience and you know whatever and it turns out they're just people <laughs> that humans. now have a child. They're yeah. just humans that are just making this up as they go along, and they're becoming experts over time. But they have no idea what the hell they're doing. Uh, and you know, 
I straight up just told my son that one day. I was like, you know, we're just making this up as we go along, right? Like we're no different than you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and the thing is, if you have five kids, you're still, you're still not an expert because every kid is so different. So their needs are different. The the way they communicate is different. The way that they, you know, receive feedback is different. The way they perceive everything is different, right? So there's so many more layers. I don't think you ever become an expert at being a parent because it's always changed. I actually don't think you become an expert in quite frankly, anything. Cause I think things, everything changes. You can become really, really well-versed. Uh, but an expert means like, you know, everything. And I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'd be hard pressed to say if there's something that somebody knows everything in, but I'm sure you'll come up with something. <laughs> no, I actually totally agree with you. Cause I'm a firm believer in that. There's always something more to learn that in every aspect of our lives, we are always growing and always learning. And that we we never, it's like, I remember in some math in like high school, you had that curve coming down to the x-axis and it never quite ever reaches the x-axis. I feel like that's life. Like yeah. you're never going to be fully accomplished in that. You're always going to be learning. So I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that's the, I think that's the beauty of life too. The more curious you are, the more you try to, to learn or absorb or get better, the more, the more fulfilled we feel. Jackie, thank you so much. Jackie Gadeen, see? Oh, actually, I'll, I cheated. I wrote down the pronunciation. But, <laughs> but you did it beautifully. You didn't have to tell honest. anybody. <laughs> Could have been our secret. <laughs> so, I, I want to be honest. Um, thank you so much for, for taking the time, for joining me. This has been a great conversation. Um, I really, you know, it's... Um, it's time out of your day, time out of you know your your life, and I, I just want to express gratitude. I really do appreciate that because that is that is something you did for me. So so thank you. I do appreciate that, and for all of us. Well, I thank you for having me on. This was a thrill, and I I'm, I love uh, when I have a conversation with someone and our energies match. Like this this feeling, this good feel good feeling, and it makes it makes the whole conversation so much better. So I appreciate that too. You're very, you're very warm and open and that makes your interviewee feel warm and open. So good job. <laughs> Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, rate and review us and share this episode with a friend. Thanks.